0: Welcome to diet culture dropout. Are you ready to drop out of the $72 billion narrative that you've been sold? Diet culture sells us lies, unattainable beauty standards, the narrative that your body's inadequate and dictates how you should define your health. It is pervasive, oppressive, and damaging to all areas of our health. By dropping out of diet culture, We can together celebrate all bodies, work towards dismantling weight stigma, and stop the transgenerational trauma of body shame and dieting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of Diet Culture Dropout. It's with great pleasure to welcome on Kate Wynn, who is a local teacher in the Kortha Lakes. And today we will be talking about shifting the classroom feeding dynamics. So welcome, Kate, to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited to chat with um, what's been shifting in your classroom. Um, so, maybe just to start, do you want to kind of let the listeners know a little bit more about who you are and the work you do, please?
1: Sounds good. So I have been teaching for 21 years now. And as you mentioned, I live in the Court the Lakes area. I teach outside Lindsay. Right now I'm a kindergarten teacher, but I also have a bunch of side hustles. I do TV segments where I share parenting information. I do magazine articles, that sort of thing. So I also have a blog, lots of different irons in the fire, but I know today we're going to be talking about things that are happening in my kindergarten class. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Wow, good for you. Um, awesome. So I love starting the podcast, th- sorry, the podcast off on kind of a real life example of how diet culture comes up for for everyone really. So can you give me an example, maybe more recently or in the past or anything that really comes up of how it's come up for you personally? Sure. And I mean, I know
1: we're going to get into the
0: professional um, in
1: a bit, but I know within the past year, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And diet culture, I mean, I don't think anybody ever escapes diet culture. But growing up, I have always had a slim build. And I think we know that that is seems to be presented as the ideal. And so yeah. I don't think that things have necessarily hit me or upset me or whatever the same way as they may have other people. I've certainly been exposed to it all. But yeah. I know yeah. with breast cancer, I started to do research and I like to dig into you know primary sources and and good yeah. good sources, that sort of thing. But you start to see, oh, five foods to beat cancer and you know, five yes. cancer causing food. Don't eat this if you don't, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah. just realizing how many myths there are, how many misconceptions. I don't have what most people would consider Um, and I know there's so many words, we're going to talk about words later, about what's generally considered a healthy diet. I mean, I love chocolate, and I love chips, and I love McDonald's, and I love pizza. And, you know, I eat a lot of other things that that the critics may approve of more. But, you know, I certainly have a wide variety that way. And sometimes I would see things and think, but that's not what the science says. And I know... Mm -hmm sometimes there are correlations, like there might be things like, there might be correlations between um, a heavier weight with cancer, or those sorts of things. And so then they start saying, okay, well, what foods do we think cause people to be heavier? And now yeah. we're going to say that those are the foods that cause cancer. And you know, that kind of thing. It's like, well, no, that if I eat that, it's not going to cure my cancer. So yeah. I think for me, that was one thing just in the last year, this sort of Disease and the connections to nutrition, and what's actually scientifically proven, and what people just kind of put in magazines and put on websites for for various reasons. That would be probably the biggest impact and the thing that's been on my mind that I've noticed in the last while.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they're just so good at like being really sneaky and convincing and really getting those emotions. And, you know, the C word cancer is, you know, a really tough road, you know. So, of course, you're going to want to, you know, cling to that with. Mm -hmm. with hope for sure. So that makes it really challenging. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So today, like I mentioned, we are going to be talking about shifting that classroom feeding dynamics. And I did want to tell the listeners how I kind of got connected with you, Kate, because we, we, as we know, we know we live in a very small town (laughs) and, um, I heard about kind of the shifts you had made in your classroom, Um, from actually a parent of a child you're teaching right now. So Mm -hmm. she kind of messaged me instantly being like, Athena, guess what this amazing new teacher is doing in our classroom? Um, I'm so excited. This is exactly, you know, how she's parenting and how she wants to foster, you know, the relationship for her kids with food. And it was just like such a win. So I was like, I need to get this teacher on here and talk about (laughs) this. So that's great. Uh, But before we kind of get to kind of what's happening in the now and how you've changed things, I want to kind of understand or take the listeners on a journey of traditionally how maybe snacks and lunch times worked uh, within the schools you worked at and yeah. kind of explore that a bit more. Yeah. For
1: sure. So I think with older grades, there doesn't tend to be as much of the adults paying attention to what's going on because the kids are more independent and they kind of do their own thing. But I know even when I taught, um, I taught for several years in sort of grade two, three. And so I certainly wouldn't say that I was policing their food or anything like that, but there was always that. And I don't know whether it's just like a teacher phrase that has come from somewhere like first snack, healthy snack, that sort of thing.
0: Right. And so
1: the idea was pick whatever would be considered to be the most nutritious item in your lunch and have that first. And so in grades two and three, I wouldn't look at what they had or, or anything like that, but it was just kind of the understanding first snack, healthy time. And I remember having a parent write me a note and saying that her child could come home really hungry the night before, hadn't eaten any of his snacks because he didn't have a healthy snack. And so he was under the impression that you have to eat the healthy one first. And so if there's no healthy one, you can't eat anything else. And it, oh, like, he had banana bread, but it had chocolate chips in it. Or you know what I mean? And I, had, yeah. I promise I had never, I didn't look at his lunch. I didn't say yes. don't eat anything. I didn't say banana breads with chocolate chips are bad for you. Nothing like that. But it was what he had interpreted. Yeah. I felt awful. I mean, I was glad the mom sort of gave me the benefit of the doubt and we cleared it up. Yeah. But he had that idea in his head that that's what he was supposed to do and not supposed to do. So even back then, I kind of thought, I don't know about, you know, this whole system. But then getting into kindergarten, the kids don't know what First Snack Healthy Snack means. They don't even know what snack time is at school yet. There's so many things you're teaching them. And then this is for a lot of them the first time because sometimes at daycares, the food is provided or whatever. So this is the first time they're bringing their own lunch pail and opening it up. And what do you do? And so we stuck with that. This is my sixth year in kindergarten. So for five years, we were doing, you know, first snack is your healthiest thing. But again, there's a lot of judgment there, right? So it's like, how do you decide what the healthiest? And of course, different families, we know whether it's financial, whether it's taste, whether it's time. They've got a whole variety of things in those lunch pails. So we did have the new Canada Food Guide poster, and so we'd kind of say, try to pick something that's from one of those categories. But then again, we know with that, they've kind of you know, phased dairy out. So I mean, lots of kids would have a cheese string or a yogurt, and so we just said, yeah, yeah, that's protein, <laughs> go ahead and have it, even though, even though we don't quite see those on that poster. So that's kind of what we were doing, Um, But then it just requires a lot of time when you're also trying to open containers and kids are spilling things and one's gone to the washroom and then one's, (laughs) you know, filling up water bottles and, and all of that. So Another and I mean, chaos. when I say we, it's because, yes, in uh, in Ontario kindergarten programs, if you've got over a certain number of kids, you have an ECE partner. So my ECE and I and I were on the same page. But then leading into this year, we just had started to, I'm kind of jumping ahead on you here, but we had started to hear things like following your Instagram account mm-hmm. and listening to other dietitians. And we kind of started even last spring when we were in uh, virtual, just kind of pondering, huh, when we go back, do we want to maybe change things? Because it, it just didn't always seem to be working. And, you know, you'd have kids sometimes too, they're trying to sneak, like they'd have like the chocolate bar under the table. (laughs) Like I said, I love chocolate. And so my first snack, I keep a big box of um, chewy bars, chocolate chip chewy bars in my bottom desk drawer. But I always felt like, well, they can't see me having my first snack because my first Mm -hmm. snack has chocolate chips in it. And so then- you know it just everything seems a little more complicated and then at lunchtime there's only one adult in the room so we would have up to 30 kids with the one adult and she's in there four days a week and I do lunch one day a week but for her it was just so much policing because you would feel like well it's lunchtime you have to have your sandwich like don't start with the cookies don't have a snack you have to have your sandwich if you've got something in a thermos you have to have that like there's certain things I mean fresh fruit sometimes by the end of the day, it isn't so fresh and appealing anymore. So some things maybe for a different reason are better to maybe start with earlier in the day, you know, when they're still at their peak, but not necessarily because, oh, that's the healthiest food for you. And I think also a lot of myths out there too, like, oh, if they have the sugar first thing in the morning, they're going to be hyper. And I mean, I know enough now to have debunked some of that stuff in my own mind, but I think that's where a lot of this comes from. And you think you're doing the right thing. And you think that parents want that as well, because occasionally I would get an email like, Oh, she came home and hadn't had her sandwich. Please make sure she eats her sandwich before her dessert. And Mm -hmm. so you think, okay, well that's what parents want. They want us to be keeping them in order. I thought I was doing the right thing, but now, uh, now I'm thinking maybe there's another route.
0: Yeah, no. And it's, it's really funny. You mention how kind of concrete and black and white, like their thinking style is right. Like you said, no healthy snack, so I'm not going to eat, you know, like that underdeveloped prefrontal cortex is just so yeah. obvious that, that thinking. Um, so we, yeah, it's incredible what they can, you know, come from what you say and like how they interpret it. Right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Good. So kind of all of that kind of led you up to trying like a different approach then. And it's great that your partner is also on the same page as well too. um, Your ECE. Good. Mm -hmm. So bringing us now to September, I know we're only the second week into school, uh, but it sounds like you've kind of been working on this from before. So what kind of shifts have you made and how, how is that going so far? Well, so two key things. One
1: is we are not trying to impact the order they eat their food. Okay. So, and we talked about this. I know your friend who reached out to you had mentioned how I was talking about this at the Welcome to Kindergarten night. So mm-hmm. for, for all of our new kids, I mentioned that right off the bat so that parents would know. I think a lot of parents don't even have a clue because the lunchbook comes home empty, <laughs> whatever. They don't know what order anything was eaten in. But I thought I better let them know that this is is kind of what we're doing. So when we sit down to have a snack, they open their lunch pail and we just tell them, you know, eat what you want. Eat the, what does your body think it wants right now. We do try to push some water, some, some drink too. But in terms of their foods, have whatever whatever is in there. Start with oh, whatever awesome. you want. And I'll notice the year twos who had this class last year, sometimes right. they'll be saying, is this my healthy snack or can I have this now? Because that was right. what we established last year, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, we're doing something different this year. You listen to your body. If you think that's best for you now, you go ahead. And we're just Amazing. kind of seeing how they're, they're doing things. So, And that's so one is the order. And then two is really trying to watch our language around foods. And again, as you mentioned, we're just really early into the school year. But in terms of saying like, save your treat or mm-hmm. that sort of thing, it's just like, oh, you're having your cookies now just calling the foods by, by their names. And, and I do like yeah. that. And even as a parent, my girls are 13 and 15. So I look back and think, hmm, what, what did I do? Right. What would I maybe have done differently? Thinking about parenting right now too, as well. But yeah. uh, so those are our big two things in the classroom right now is allowing them to choose their order. And we do have set snack and lunch times. I know in some classrooms, it's a little more open snack whenever, but we have certain times we all sit down to snack, uh, but they choose what they want and they choose when they're when they feel full and they want to stop and that's great. And then when the next time comes around, they can eat again. That's, that's how we're doing things.
0: That's great. And that's, that's huge, huge. So just want to congratulate you and appreciate so much the work that you're doing. So um, for me and for the parents. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank um, you. So I just wanted to take a pause and kind of maybe explain kind of Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. I think now's maybe a good spot to put it in, um, just for any listeners that aren't super familiar with it. Um, so Ellen Satter is a dietitian and a mental health worker in the United States. She developed the Satter Institute and the division of responsibilities. So basically there are different roles. So we'll do the home kind of setup first. So at home, the parents' roles are deciding what the food is offered, the when part. So the timing of snacks, meals, and the where part. So the location of where you're maybe sitting down and sharing the meal. And then it's up to the kid to decide if they're gonna eat and how much they will have. So once we start school, there's kind of a shift in the when part and the where. So like you mentioned, you guys have the set times. And at your school, do you guys go, is there like a cafeteria or do the kids eat? their lunch. All they eat in their own
1: classrooms. Yeah. So Great. we have
0: snack just with us, lunch
1: just with us. And we have a flip lunch as well, where they play outside for 40 minutes first and then awesome. come in to eat. And so okay. they're very hungry and ready for their food.
0: Awesome. Yes. That's new too. And I know some schools also do like the balance school days too, where there yes. are two nourishment breaks um yes. instead of like the traditional snack uh, lunch, lunch snack, snack yeah 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 <laughs> just my daughter's in JK so just kind of learning all of the new lingo that's changed yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so then once we start school the teachers support staff school is more in charge of the where the location and the when part but the parents still kind of have that main role of the what is packed in the lunch um and then I did have a comment from another person that suggested, well, what about food insecurity, which I think is a great um, kind of segue into that. So I know at most schools in Ontario anyways, they do have a breakfast program um, where whether it's a hot, hot meal or, you know, granola bar snacks, fruit type thing, where the schools may be providing options. So in that case, the schools may be kind of overlapping with the parent with providing the what. So, but in the end, the kind of main foundation of all of that is it's built on trust, and the kid is really the one dictating how much they're going to eat and if they're going to eat, and I like to add what order they're eating their food in because mm-hmm. at school it's kind of um, you know a packed lunch, so whatever they're whatever makes them excited in that moment. (laughs) So for you then, I know it was still kind of early, but any kind of benefits have you noticed so far with kind of changing your feeding dynamics in the classroom? It definitely
1: makes those periods smoother. Um, and again, I still have some gear twos not used to it yet because they're used yeah. to uh, there being a little more uh, restrictions with their order, but it's a little smoother in the fact that they can just start with whatever they want. It makes it easier for staff. And I mean, that's not, that shouldn't be a top concern when making a decision yes. is a <laughs> bit easier for staff, but it's a nice byproduct, <laughs> Nice sure. little side effect of it is that then we can focus, you know, focus on helping them with what they need to help, or even like having some chats with them while they're eating, as opposed mm-hmm. to sort of going from table to table, like, no, that's not your healthiest snack or no, maybe you should have this. And it's interesting you mentioned the the, um, snack programs as well, because what our school does is the funds go into like a bin that goes to each class. So we have our own bin with like some fresh fruit or maybe some crackers and things like that. And again, that's something where we used to kind of be like, well, you better finish everything in your lunch pail before you access that. Because I thought, will the parents be upset if something comes home uneaten? But then I thought, why am I saying you can't have the apple? (laughs) Like, If the child wants an apple from the snack bin, I really don't think a parent's going to get mad at me. Because something else came home uneaten and they had an apple, right? Like I I think it'll be okay. So we're trying to be, you know, even looser about that too. So I would say that's the biggest thing. And also I would say something that I've noticed or that surprised me is how supportive parents are of it and how much they just really didn't really want us, or not and not that they were against us doing it, but They didn't really care if we did or didn't. Like they're they're fine with their kids just eating their food in whatever order, like that message you got from one of my new parents, which is great. I know even last year, I think it was last year, I started following you on Instagram and started learning about all this stuff. And I remember putting in one of my Instagram stories, sort of the idea, like for any parents, do you expect your young child's teacher to be doing this? And so Mm -hmm. many people wrote back and said, No, as long as they're eating, no, I'm fine, I don't care. And several parents who were current parents in my class were saying that like oh no the staff's too busy we don't expect them doing that yeah. as long as they're eating so I just realized oh maybe I've been doing something mm-hmm. that I haven't really needed to do all this yeah. time so, yeah. uh, so that's that's another big one for me it's just realizing that the parents are cool
0: <laughs> yeah for sure um and another point you made too which I think is a good um kind of thing to go back to is how you kind of explained it to the year two students um about how we're kind of changing our approach. So a lot of times parents kind of feel like at a crossroads, but like, I've already spent, you know, 10 years doing it this way. Can I really change my approach? So I think exactly that just saying, you know, we're going to try something new. This is kind of what we're going to see, you know, getting that feedback from them, how they like it. And just being honest and open kind of like, I don't always get it right every time, you know, let's just, let's try something new. I think that's a really good opportunity for their own personal learning too. But a great way mm-hmm. to kind of how we can communicate it and um, kind of change it. Um, so I think, I think that's lovely that the year twos are kind of questioning things. I think that's funny.
1: Yeah. That's and you know, I think too, like that's, this is all short term so far, but I, what I'm learning from you or other dietitians who are, who are really on board with all of this is just the healthy relationships with food. And Mm -hmm. so just the whole thing about you can just listen to your body. And and I think think kids that I've seen in kindergarten are usually pretty good at that phase. But it all adds up as kids get older and the messages kind of compound, right? And I just think about women where it, sort of the the vocabulary is oh i'm gonna have a cheat meal or i mm-hmm. have to i i did this exercise so i earned this treat or yeah. those sorts yeah. of things and i feel like oh i don't i don't want to be contributing with my daughters or my students to them growing up feeling that way like that you have yeah. to earn yeah. earn certain foods or that that sort of thing right so yeah. i feel like yeah. if this is a way to start establishing more healthy thoughts about it then i'm all on board
0: yeah Yeah. And that's huge. And it's amazing how, you know, it's the first step is entering into school and junior kindergarten, you know, like that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So another common question I get is for, from parents kind of asking, how can I get my teacher on board with this approach? Um, So any advice um, or suggestions for any parents that are wanting to kind of speak to their teacher and the best ways, I guess, to go around that?
1: For sure. So I think if you want your child to be able to, you know, kind of eat whatever order, that sort of thing, I feel like you can totally have a conversation with the teacher. And as passionate as you might be about something, the more... The softer approach that seems less judgmental of the teacher is always going to come across better and in my experience, probably get you a better result than if it comes in like you're criticizing or you're angry about how they're doing it. Um, so I mean, just like a, an email or a call just to say like, oh, we're fine with Susie eating things in any order. We'd love if you could just kind of let her do that. We think it's best, but you know, I, I, don't, I can't see a parent saying, or a teacher saying no to that. I know sometimes it's hard because where is sort of the division of you know, like if a parent emailed me and said, oh, we don't want Bobby doing math class. So we just think he gets to go do something else. Well, no, he's here. He has to, like, that's my job and I want him to do math. So I get to make that call, right? Yeah. But certain things in terms of what they're eating in their lunch, I think is more kind of on the parent side of things. The only mm-hmm. issue then kind of gets to be, well, how come she gets to have her cookies for a morning snack, but we have to have our healthy snack first. So that's when you're getting more into trying to affect change class wide or school wide. And again, I think sort of that gentle, you know, like an email or whatever, like I was reading this cool article, or I heard this podcast that Peacefully Nurse did. And I was wondering if you've heard of this idea, I thought maybe it might be Mm -hmm. something to think about that sort of thing. I'm yeah, really open yeah. to that. And I think teachers are too. Again, when it's kind of that soft, gentle, have you ever heard of the idea of, I wondered if it might be something you'd think about because apparently mm-hmm. it can be great for kids. And I know it would be good for my little Bobby, that sort of thing. I mean, certainly if it's something you care about and want to want to get on board with, want your school to get on board with, Don't feel like you can't reach out or or anything like that. And I just as a teacher, I'm just saying a lot of it is in the approach, not like a you're doing this wrong. And Mm -hmm. you know, my expert says you have to do this, because this is a very new sort of swing. right like it's very much been first snack healthy snack and i mean we're not even getting into today talking about curriculum and all that sort of thing right but a lot of teachers feel like no the curriculum says this and so i have to be taught like i know kindergarten Mm -hmm. i just pulled it up the other day to look at it and one of the teacher prompts for the kindergarten program is it says in quotation marks why is a piece of fruit a better snack than a donut Yeah. Like so it's not like a teacher can misinterpret that one. Like that is literally right there as a prompt wow. that you can use with your lesson. And I don't want to talk about why a piece of fruit is a better, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. where it's all so hard. But in yeah. terms of what the kids are eating, I feel like parents have every right to express their thoughts and, and just uh, take the right approach and the right time. Be careful it's not on social media. I mean, it was lovely that you got that social media comment that was positive, but, you know, you don't want to take to a public Facebook post, and like, yes. I can't believe yes. at my school, they're till, still telling the kids they have to eat their sandwich first. Yeah. that's not that's not going to get you the results so if you're looking for drama that's fine but if you're looking for results do sort of the private the slow gradual here's some stuff I've learned what do you think and go from there
0: yeah 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 always leading kind of with that curiosity I always encourage people and the kindness too um yes. I just made up these little lunchbox cards that I'm gonna put a link in the notes of um just kind of outlining all of this that we're chatting about Awesome. And then on the flip side of that for teachers, school support staff, maybe hearing about this approach for the first time and wanting to make some change in the classroom, what would be kind of your advice uh, for them? I'd say my
1: advice with almost any new thing is do your research, take it all in, don't just go with one source. Like this one expert mm-hmm. says, all of a sudden we have to do this and now we're going to change it. I'm like what I'm doing, I'm hearing from different places, right? And I'm looking into it and kind of figuring out whether it's somebody's opinion or whether this is actually professionals in a body of, of research or a body of, of expert advice. Right. Mm-hmm. So take it all in. And I know even a, a totally different subject, but I've been researching the science of reading and learning how to teach kids to read. And I'm glad that I took it all in and mulled things over. It was kind of nice that we had virtual learning because I had time to, to process before mm-hmm. deciding because otherwise I might've just kind of jumped on a trend, jumped on a trend. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, Take it all in, make sure, have a plan how you want to approach things. I mean, it was great to have the first day of school as a starting point, but you know, you can always have the first of a month or a Monday morning or or whatever is a good transition for kids once you're ready. and talk to other people. Like if you see on social media another teacher talking about how they've done this, just message them and say, okay, how did that work? And, you know, how did you let your parents know? Did you have any issues? Because then maybe you can preempt some things that might be problems. Just sort of yeah. that research and plan. But don't, don't be scared to try something new. Don't be scared to admit that maybe you were wrong was something you did before I know yeah. with reading there were things I was doing right there were things I was doing wrong with snack time there were things I was doing right but now I'm thinking there are things I can do better so now we're mm-hmm. sort of going that direction and I think that sets a good example for the kids like how you mentioned with the year twos it's not like once you start school the teachers are going to do things the exact same for your whole entire academic career no nope, because yes. we learn and grow too and, and things might exactly. shift so yep. that would be my advice yeah
0: never stop learning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Awesome. So anything else you want to add or fit in here?
1: (laughs) Um, No, I don't think so. I think we've, uh, we've covered a range. I'm really excited about, about how things are going and I really appreciate your Instagram account and, and I know other colleagues of yours who share the same information and uh, it's just great to get ideas and, and parenting. You know what, while I've got you here, can I ask you a question? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, and this is just something that I wonder about with kids, the division of responsibility. And it's something that I wonder with my daughters at home, because now sometimes I'm out and they're making their own dinners. They pack their own lunches, that sort of thing. So how, how much still can a parent influence what's available to them? Like, so we always have cookies at home but Mm -hmm. I don't want them having cookies for breakfast and snack and lunch and snack and dinner and snack, but I don't want to forbid cookies because cookies are great and we can have cookies sometimes, but what, what's kind of the best way to approach, like, is it more promoting variety? Is that kind of the best way to look at it in terms of, I don't want to say you must have two servings of, right? Because we don't want to be that heavy. What do you think?
0: So I think if we're looking at it in the context of they're kind of having a snack or meal and you're not there. So they're kind of solo prepping it. You're meaning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, you've, you've spent all these years kind of, demonstrating and kind of showcasing you know what eating habits in your house looks like right from the day one they're kind of watching they're understanding you know you know how things roll in the house and i think there does become a time where you know we have to let them have that opportunity to, to make selections right and sometimes we may let's go back to the cookie example have so many cookies that we have that tummy ache and we really learn from that experience right i know with my daughter she was over at the neighbors one day and they just kept refilling the juice glass refilling the juice glass and she must have ate a drank a liter of juice and after that she was like my stomach hurts so bad and just with curiosity, hmm, what's maybe different? Like what maybe happened, you know, kind of leading her to kind of that awareness of what happened. Um, But then kind of fast forwarding it like a year even later, she remembers that experience. So she's now self-regulating, you know, how much juice she's having or how much candy she has. I know sometimes I joke on my Instagram account where I'll do you know, a marshmallow challenge with her. Like, I don't tell her that I'm doing this, but I'll just, you know, serve a huge plate of them with other things and then see how she does. Um, Cause we classically think that kids don't have that self-control and that they won't, you know, really listen to their bodies. Um, so yeah. kind of going back to your question is you've kind of laid the groundwork of kind of the expectations um, you provide the food within the fridge, cupboards, cabinets, whatever. Right. So it's letting them decide. And You know, obviously the foods you're purchasing and bringing into your house, they're eventually going to be eaten and consumed, right? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. letting them have that opportunity to decide um, what they're having, I think is good. And then always kind of reframing that messaging. If there's a challenge, kind of exploring, you know, what was your body telling you? How did you feel after that? Kind of exploring the full journey of, you know, after how, how you were feeling, right? And maybe there is a case of we're saving the cake for the birthday this weekend or something like that. So we can kind of put limits on things like there's not enough of that for, you know, to have it now and at the birthday party or whatever. Right. So having some limits like that, but then also, um, I know some of my languages, you know, if I'm the one who's serving the meal and they're saying, Oh, but I want this. And kind of my response is it's not available right now. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. And for things that are more labeled as treats or fun foods, um, you know, desserts, chocolates, candies, whatever we want to call them. Um, It's maybe having those foods and then, you know, telling them, giving them heads up when they may be having them again. So there's kind of a concrete time. Okay. Mom said tomorrow for snack, we're going to have that for maybe some of those heightened foods that we're trying to neutralize. But I think your girls at your age definitely are at that stage where they can be, you know, putting together meals and, you know, not having lots of advice really needed or prompts. Right because eventually they're going to be going to school and university when they're going to be doing closed doors, all their meals. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really good practice to be doing that now. Yeah. Good question. That's
1: great. Thank you. Yeah. Just as we were talking, I was thinking, you know what, that's something that I always think about. And so I appreciate your advice.
0: Yeah. So in closing, I always like to end um, with kind of the million dollar question here. So the focus, obviously, of the podcast is about die culture and dropping out of it. So what would you say is the single most protective action you can take either for yourself or for your kids uh, to protect them against die culture? I think it's developing that
1: sense of critical thinking, especially the media literacy piece, but also critical thinking like of messages you might hear from family members or friends or whatever. Yeah. And So as adults, working on that in ourselves, but also as parents or teachers, developing that in the kids too, sort of where's this message coming from? What's the intent behind it? Is somebody making money from this headline or or whatever? And even when I talked at the very beginning of the episode about, you know, some of those cancer headlines – Sometimes it's just magazines looking for clicks for advertising revenue and people are going to click. If it's like five foods to beat cancer, people are going to click on that, right? So it's not malicious, but it's business Um, and people selling products and, you know, body image and things that are used in advertising, all of that there's a reason for it. What are they trying to get you to buy? Why do they want you to feel like this part of you is not good enough? Well, because Mm -hmm. somebody might profit from it or, you know, why is your mother saying that to you about your food that you're eating? You know, those sorts of things. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to, to think critically and not just sort of accept that every message somebody tries to put on you is true and, and you have to, internalize it and use it sometimes it's like no i'm that message is not going to come into me i'm just going to let that bounce right off and and so i think the critical thinking as as women as adults teaching our kids that that would be my biggest thing
0: yeah that's huge amazing thank you for that and lastly where can listeners find you and learn more about your work
1: all right. Well, my kids find me right here in my classroom, but <laughs> my uh, blog is thismomloves.ca, and I write about a whole range of lifestyle topics and my TV segments, magazine articles, everything's linked there. I'm on Facebook and Twitter at This Mom Loves, and I'm most active on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. And if anybody has found me through this podcast, I'd love for them to, to reach out because I love meeting new people and I'm happy to answer any questions about what we're doing in our class. It's, uh, yeah, it's really exciting.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. As mentioned in the episode, I have created a resource called a lunchbox card. Um, that's a free downloadable off my website. So if you go to peacefully slash freebies, and that's a forward slash freebies um, and click the download now, uh, lunchbox card you'll have a copy so the front page outlines the division of responsibilities within the classroom so parents decide what food is packed teachers support staff provide a safe location to eat and designated times and then the child decides how much food's consumed in what order and if they will eat the packed contents and then the flip side is just some verbiage um, to kind of go hand in hand with the lunchbox card um for support staff or teachers. So you can fill in the the blanks with your child's name. And basically, it's just outlining, you know, your child decides how much to eat, what food order they're eating. Um, and, you know, if they're having dessert first or dessert last, That that's totally fine. Um, that you trust and you can rely on their hunger and fullness cues to dictate their food and volume and, you know, help with opening containers and things like that's you know, what you need maybe from them in the moment, um, to help your child out. Um, and then kind of your contact info if they have any questions about kind of this approach. So you can grab that off my website. And, um, if you have a, um, laminator, uh, makes it really handy for, um, those wet lunch pails when they maybe leak or something like that. So hopefully that is a great resource. And if you want to tag me on social media using the lunchbox card or how that worked out for you, I would love to hear. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to diet culture dropout. If you like today's podcast, I would love for you to leave a review, share the episode with a friend or subscribe. The more we can collectively break down diet culture, the closer we get to food peace and celebrating all bodies. Thanks for being here.